Oh God, as we just sang, I am so grateful for precious gifts that you give us. I think of Daniel struggling to understand these epic truths that you were revealing to him, things that would take place in the immediate future, in the next 10 years, things that would not take place for hundreds of years. God, in your sovereignty, you are revealing them to us as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for your word, God. Never are we left to our our own devices. Never are we abandoned. Your, Your presence is always with us. Your guidance is always there through your word. God, as our worship team just led us, I'm so grateful also that it's not just something we hold in our hands. But through your Holy Spirit, your presence is in us. There's no trial that we face, no pandemic that overwhelms us, no no word of the future that, that intimidates us, that you have not already given us yourself to dwell in us, to lead us, to comfort us, to protect us. But God, I'm also so grateful for your promises in your word, even as Chris has shared a couple of them there. Lord, you'll never fail us. You'll never abandon us. Yes, we will walk through the water. We will walk through the fire. There will be times when we are overwhelmed. There will be times when we even are invited to sacrifice our lives for what you have revealed. But never, God, never do you abandon us. Great is your faithfulness. God, as as we gather today, I'm just mindful that there are many facing impossibilities. Thinking of my friend Susan. God, in the last six months, you have entrusted to her uh, so much um, suffering. You, uh, God, took away uh, her husband's job. You you um, gave her uh, a brain tumor. You took away even her ability to process like she has her entire life. You entrusted to her family um, COVID. You, you drew her believing father through COVID to yourself. Today she's reeling, and I know that there are many even here with us present today reeling from the circumstances of life. I know there are many with us online who are facing um, challenges that are overwhelming. And we thank you, God, that you hold our future in your hand. We don't need to fear. Because your perfect plan for our lives is being worked out. But I thank you, God, that in every moment there is this opportunity for us to turn to you. To confess to you our confusion. To confess to you our brokenness, our inability, God, to meet even our own needs. And God, when we do, you, you forgive you heal, 
You bring life. I know in a few moments we're going to leave this building and we're going to go back out into a world that so desperately needs to know that you live, that you are moving, that you both love and have the power to deliver. Would you meet us in these few moments, God? Would you strengthen us on the inner person? Would you fill us to overflowing with your presence through your Holy Spirit? Would you remind us of your promises? God, I know, fortified by your word, fortified by your presence, God, there's no lion, there's no challenge, there's no pandemic, there's nothing we can face that you cannot prove yourself glorious in. So open our hearts and minds now to your presence. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be uh, a love gift, an offering acceptable in your sight. And then, God, I pray that we would leave people transformed by your word, people transformed by your presence. Oh, we love you, God, and we thank you for every precious gift. We thank you that we can even come to you together, online and in person, and offer to you the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, open the word of God with me, would you, today? Um, we are in the book of Daniel. Uh, and today we are in Daniel chapter 8. Da- Excuse me, Daniel chapter 8. Oh, I just want to remind you, as you're turning there, either on your phones or in your Bibles, I just want to remind you of kind of where we've been um, in the first chapter of Daniel, we had this um, this introduction as as God sovereignly intervened in His own people's lives and 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 put them in exile. In other words, God's judgment began with His own people, and He used uh, an external uh, force, uh, an external government, to bring about the punishment of his people. By the way, um, do not miss the, the meaning behind the 70 years of exile, right? What had happened in, in the previous um, 490 years, um, the people had not been keeping Sabbath, right? And what God did was gave them 70 years of Sabbath. Right, he gave them the Sabbaths that they did not keep. It kind of reminds me some of my uh, some of the men in the Bible studies I'm involved in. We talk about sometimes if you don't take Sabbath, God will give you Sabbath, right? And um, and that's exactly what happened for the people of it. Now next week is going to be really important. Next two weeks are going to be really important having to do with that as we get into Daniel chapter nine. 
But uh, um, as we see in Daniel chapter 2, then while they were in exile, then God still used them powerfully to transform the culture around them. And there's such a parallel to us as the body of Christ in a, a foreign land. This world is not our home, right? But God is using us in this place before we return to our Father to impact the culture around us. And Daniel and his friends did just exactly that. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which we'll highlight again today. And then we saw the persecution that came to um, the three friends of Daniel. We saw um, the humiliation and, and exaltation of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. We saw the humiliation and destruction of one of his successors. And we saw Daniel's own personal trial. There's a cyclical thing going on. We saw his own personal trial as in Daniel 6, he himself was falsely accused and thrown into the lion's den. Then last week, we had the last of our Aramaic passages. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, God gives Daniel a vision, his own vision now for the future, which we saw was was exactly parallel to um, the vision that that he had given Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel had interpreted. And what I um, invited you to last week was to realize that there's a key to Daniel and it's repetition and intensification. Remember that? So already last week we saw repetition that God repeated the vision that he'd given to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. And uh, again, this week we're going to see him repeat it yet again and intensify it. And then uh, at the We'll take a pause and look at the prayer of, of Daniel next week, and then we'll see Daniel's vision one more time where he gets even more intense at the end of the chapter. But let's open God's Word together today. I'm going to read it with you, and you're welcome to follow along. I think we might have it um, on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. You'll recall that last week um, in Daniel chapter 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon that that uh, that God ultimately humbled and then destroyed. Um, and the first year of, of Belshazzar, Daniel had the first dream of Daniel 7. Now we're in the third year, probably um, probably somewhere around the um, uh, eight or seven years before um, God will ultimately destroy Babylon. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me in the first. In other words, Daniel is directly tying this vision in with the vision of Daniel chapter 7. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was in at the Ulai Canal. If you're into that kind of thing, it's just fun to Google that stuff and see that that canal still exists. It's filled in. It's silted in. But you can still see the exact place where Daniel's vision took him. Now, note for just a second that it's in Susa. He's physically in Babylon, but in his vision, God takes him to to Susa, which is the capital of the uh, country that is going to conquer Babylon in seven years, right? God takes him to the capital of that 
country in a vision and reveals truth to him. I raised my eyes, verse 3, and saw and behold a ram standing on the banks of the canal. If you're just joining us today and you haven't been following along, God has been using visions of beasts to reveal the future. And, and he's switching imagery right here, but he sees this animal that's now more familiar than the beasts of last week. He sees a ram standing on the bank of the canal. And it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward, and no beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Watch through the balance of our scripture for that word great today. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. Remember, horns in apocalyptic literature are symbols of power, right? Kingdoms. He broke the two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Um, I have spent weeks looking at this. And I still am overwhelmed. Do not be surprised right now if you're saying, I have no idea what's going on. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to get help from no less than an archangel here in just a moment. And out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, Israel. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw to the ground and trampled on them. It became great. See many times that word keeps coming back? It became great, trampled on them, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering, because of transgression. You just mark in your mind that phrase, because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground. And it will act and prosper. And then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? The transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored to its rightful state. Hang with me, you guys. I know this is overwhelming. 
When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel. First time we see Gabriel in all scripture. Gabriel, archangel of God, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. Oh, I wish we had time to explore that. Look at the resurrection scene going on right there. Let me just press pause on that and continue to read. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time at the end. The second time we've seen that. The end. As for the ram you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Almost universally people understand that to be Alexander the Great. As for the horn that was broken, in place of it, four others arose. Four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the end of their kingdom, when transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. For he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in whatever he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become, there it is again, great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. He shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up this vision, for it refers to many days from now. This is where my heart just bleeds with Daniel. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. The very word of God. Oh, yeah. Thanks be to God. Well, um, you may, I'm sensing that you may also be feeling what Daniel felt. This is overwhelming, right? This is overwhelming. How do we even wrap our minds, our brains around this this passage? I'm going to try and give you a little bit of help here today. I don't pretend to completely understand it. I want to give you a little bit more framework so that as you look at it, many of you in the next hour in small groups, as you look at it more in depth, then um, then you'll be open to God speaking to you in the midst of it. Daniel has been given this series of visions, and God doesn't mess around. When he gives you insight, when he gives you a literal vision such as this, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it, right? And I, and I don't pretend to encompass the whole purpose for here, but let me just tease you with a couple of thoughts. Why would God give Daniel these visions and this one in particular? 
I want to suggest to you it's so that the people of God might understand one of these key words that pops up so many times in Daniel chapter 8, that they might understand the end, right? They might understand the end. For us right now, some 2,500 years later, our minds immediately jump to the end of the world. And that's fair. That's fair. We're going to see even in this chapter that the, the line gets blurred between uh, Daniel's situation and the end times. Um, our minds immediately jump. I just want to remind you that it also had meaning in their culture. He's in Babylon. And Babylon is about to fall. But God gives them a vision, not only for Babylon's fall, but for the fall of the kingdom that conquers Babylon, for the fall of that kingdom, and then ultimately for the fall of all human kingdoms. So God wants us to understand the end, right? He wants us to understand. And let me just ask you to think personally for a second. He wants us to understand that there will be an end to this trial. There will be an end. And, and, and I don't know if you're watching this somewhere in the future. You might look back and say, what are you, what are you talking about? This has been a trial. Amen. We have been in a trial ourselves. People have been separated from their loved ones. People have, have been isolated physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and untold, what, I think it just is approaching in the United States alone, 500,000 people died. And this is this is epic stuff. And and it is a real trial that we're experiencing ourselves. Like Daniel in his trial, God wants us to understand there will be an end to this trial, right? This is not the sum total of all your God's purpose for you. He's not done yet, right? Let me stop for just a second and say a word about tribulation. And I'm just going to put a couple markers that are going to raise more questions than they're going to answer here today. But but I want to put a couple markers in place. One, and say there is in the scripture, when we get to Revelation, we'll see it in depth. We'll even, we'll even see hints of it in the remaining chapters of Daniel. There is going to be a global, worldwide tribulation like the world has never seen before. That there's, there's one coming. But I, I just want to say there's also other tribulations that happen in between. Right? There's other tribulations that happen before. There are people like my friend I prayed for earlier who, who are in tribulation right now. Right? And I love about God is that he understands both. He understands the, the, the future. He holds the future in his hands. And we're gonna we're gonna get a little insight into why those tribulations are gonna happen. Um, but I love it that he understands where I am right this moment. I love it that he understands my circumstances right now. So so when we say tribulation, we're talking in a couple different senses. We're talking about this epic tribulation that comes at the end of the age, but we're also talking about the tribulations like Daniel was experiencing in Babylon at that moment, okay? And that brings me to another little hint here I'm going to give you just about, about theology, right? Um, I want to think about differences in theology because um, whether we realize it or not, we all kind of grew up with a, 
with a, a theological package, and we kind of see everything in, in every experience we have and every scripture we read through the lens of that theological package. And as, um, as followers of Jesus, um, we, are, we are beholden to his word. And oftentimes his word breaks out of the little packages that we put it in, right? God breaks out of the boxes that we put him in. I'm not diminishing the boxes. They're so helpful in confusing passages like Daniel. They're so helpful to kind of say, okay, I see where this is going because I understand the box. But sometimes that box can limit us. The vast majority of Christians in the United States have a a theological box different than the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, It it is called dispensationalism, and it looks at at Scripture through a different lens than people who uh, um, believe they're part of the covenant community of God look at. Now, uh, does that mean uh, we're not going to go to heaven and they are, or they're... or they're not going to go to heaven. And we're, not at all. This isn't, this isn't one of those issues. You, your faith is dependent on the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. What we're talking about is a way of understanding Scripture. But let me just say, uh, today I'll just give you one little difference in those two packages. In covenant the- theology, we believe that the walls have been broken down between Jew and Gentile. That Christ has overcome the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. And now every person stands on level ground at the foot of the cross based on their response to Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. Um, uh, and so, so we believe that, that um, the people of God now include both Jews and Gentiles. Dispensational uh, theology, which is which is where you see a lot of the time charts, and and this is going to happen, such and such a thing. Um, the difference there is that they believe that no, the people of Israel are different, are separate from the church. So that's a subtle difference, but it affects us today. And so I just want you to become aware of that and to open your heart and mind to uh, let the word speak to you what it wants to speak, not what the packages. Mine or anybody else's that um, that we use to understand Scripture are telling us. So, um, so there will be this massive tribulation, but there are tribulations that come before. There are different ways that God-fearing, wonderful followers of Jesus who are going to stand together in eternity look at the same passages, and that's okay. That's okay. So... So there is going to be an end to this trial. But Daniel chapter 8 is telling us also that there is going to be an end. And he adds a new word to our mixture that we haven't seen yet. There's going to be an end to all rebellion. There's going to be an end to all rebellion against God. And as we have looked at later, 2,500 years later, look back, we saw that that people rebelled against God. Daniel prophesies that happening right here in our passage. There's going to be an end to all rebellion, and ultimately there's going to be an end to all things as we know it. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new 
earth. So the purpose of the vision is so that we might understand the end, but it's also so that we might understand the heart of God. And let me just remind you of very familiar truths, but I want you to keep them in context here. God is just, right? And and it may seem like sometimes that he's not acting. There's evil happening around us. And we're saying, God, where are you? Why are you not judging the evil around us? And Daniel chapter 8 gives us this reminder that God is just and he will hold all accountable. That's the good news. Here's the bad news, right? Judgment begins with the people of God. With the people of God, Peter understood this. Peter, who was speaking in First and Second Peter to people in the midst of intense tribulation, not the ultimate tribulation, but intense tribulation, said, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God, right? If, if judgment begins with God's people, what's going to be the outcome for those who don't know him? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, how will the, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, Peter, Peter says, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. God is just, and justice begins with the people of God. We began this series, actually began a Revelation series. We looked again at Second Chronicles, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, my people's wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land, right? So, so judgment begins with the house of God. But God is not just just. He's also merciful, right? God is merciful. And and his great desire, this is a mystery here. And just if you're taking notes, just jot down um, Romans chapter 11. Uh, this mysterious pastor in Romans chapter 11, he's talking about the purpose of bringing people to justice is expressly so that he can show mercy. That he can show mercy. If you miss, if you if you understand that God is just and miss the fact that He is merciful, you've missed everything. So, um, and I put in parentheses here. We're not seeing this here in Daniel today, but we know, of course. I, I put here in faded script right here. God is also gracious. In other words, long before we're ever aware of it, He's extending that mercy to us beforehand. So, so the purpose of the vision, a couple of purposes, I don't pretend to be comprehensive, a couple of the purposes of this vision is that we would understand the end of our current struggle and we would understand the end of trials and tribulation in general, but also so that we might know the heart of God. You cannot imagine, thank you so much, Chris, and our worship team who read a couple of the promises of God that just let you see his heart. Do you remember, do you remember early in this series we, we looked at, at Isaiah 43 verse 1 right i i have called you i have redeemed you you are mine you are mine i know you're going to walk through the the waters right i know you're going to walk through the fire but i will be with you god says so let's look now for just a moment at the unique parts of this vision and see if we can kind of correlate them to um, the visions we've seen so far 
Um, very specifically, Gabriel tells us, the same Gabriel that from, from the Christmas stories, right? Gabriel, this archangel of God, um, uh, t- tells Daniel that this first, this first animal that you encounter is the Medo-Persian Empire. And in about seven years from the time Daniel saw that, that very thing happened, the, 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 um, Persians who were much smaller than, um, much weaker than the, the Medes, uh, uh, in an amazing way, Cyrus recruited the generals of the Median army and combined the two armies, conquering Mede and creating this empire called the Medo-Persian Empire that was unbalanced. There were Medes in it, but they were, they were not as powerful as the Persians. And that shows up in this vision. It showed up in the vision, the vision of the bear. Remember that lean to one side in last week's thing? Um, it was an unbalanced, unbalanced empire. But um, the ram that came, the two-horned ram, the Media and Persia, uh, conquered uh, Babylon, the winged lion from last week. But then we see, uh, we see, you know, a couple of verses are devoted to explaining who this ram is. A couple of verses are devoted to this goat that comes uh, flying across from the west, right, and has a big horn, uh, one big powerful person, uh, and and crushes the Medo-Persian Empire, right? Well, in in the mid-fourth century, before the time of Christ, Alexander the Great, whose father had begun to to, uh, assimilate uh, uh, the cultures around him, and then died suddenly at, I think he was 20 years old at the time, he conquered 1.5 million square miles of of Greece, Asia, all the way to India, all the way down to Egypt. Alexander the Great, there's that word again, right? Alexander the Great conquered everything before him except himself. Except himself. And at the age of 32, um, uh, passed away in Babylon, unable to control his own uh, struggles. And and this horn was broken, right? Remember Daniel's vision? Four horns came up, the four generals. Daniel, uh, excuse me, uh, Alexander had a child. The child was born after Alexander died. And the four generals immediately murdered both the child and his mother and fought for years to, to conquer Alexander's great kingdom. Well, um, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, um, two of those four kings were very powerful. And as we'll see even in Daniel chapter 8, one of them was very powerful. It says the king of the north, remember that, the king of the north um, uh, ultimately uh, conquered all the other kings around him, got all the way down to Egypt, was ready to uh, conquer Egypt, and, and Rome came to Egypt's aid in a phenomenal situation. The, um, the Roman general asked um, this king of the north, what, uh, what was he going to do? Was he going to leave Egypt or not? And, and he drew a circle around him and said, I want an answer before you leave that circle. And this amazing, powerful king of the north uh, gave up on Egypt and went back and took out his wrath on the closest people he could find. 
Well, who is just north of Egypt? Um, Israel. And this, this king, this little horn that became great in Daniel chapter 8, um, uh, destroyed the Hebrew people, set up in the temple uh, an, uh, an idol, and sacrificed pigs in the temple to it. The scripture calls it, calls it the abomination of desolation. Um, it, it happened. It happened about 160 years before the time of Christ. So, so wow. Daniel is given a vision. This is this is 500 years before Christ. He's given a vision for the next 400 years. I want to anchor myself in this little little uh, goat for just a moment, and then we'll try and pull a couple of truths from this passage to chew on and, and, uh, and prepare for, for next week. But I, I want to just note that this is not the same little horn that we saw last week. Again, Daniel chapter 7 um, reveals all four of the major kingdoms, but it, but it, um, but it focuses especially on uh, Babylon, the first one, and also uh, the fourth one. I put Rome in question marks. That's because most of us think the Roman Empire has um, collapsed, but in many ways it's still influencing us even to this day. But um, uh, Daniel chapter 7 focused on 1 and 4. Uh, Daniel chapter 8 focuses on um, kingdoms 2 and 3. In other words, on Medo-Persia and Greece. And see, under Daniel chapter 8, the goat, it says little horn. We have a little horn there, but that's a different little horn than the iron beast little horn of Daniel chapter 7. What do we take from that? Uh, I just want to note that in Scripture, oftentimes, um, we have an ultimate reality that is foreshadowed by, um, by existing realities. Boy, that was an awkward way of saying it. Um, there were lots of little horns. Uh, let, me, let me put it in Revelation terms. There are lots of antichrists. Every culture has them. There will be, I'm not, don't mistake, there will be the satanic trinity that includes the ultimate antichrist. But in uh, 160 years before the time of Christ, there was, there was a massive one, 70 years, 80, 70, some 40 years after the time of Christ, there was another one. Who's to say that um, Adolf Hitler or Stalin uh, were not antichrists, right? Um, they're foreshadowing something to come. And here's where I want to just put a marker in your brain that we can learn something about the ultimate antichrist who is yet to come from these little horns, right? From these little horns. It is astounding the things that that describe him, right? His power shall be great, verse 24, but not by his own power. Where is the power coming from, right? Power is coming from the evil one, from Satan, right? He shall cause fearful destruction. John 10.10, 10, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? He shall cause fearful destruction. Destruction, But Jesus continues, 
But I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right, John 10, 10. So, so there's these, these foreshadowings of, of the satanic power that, that is present in real people. He continues, um, and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he will become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. It's so interesting that in Daniel chapter 8, this this little horn that is prophesied, it, it seems to, the, the lines tend to blur. And we're starting to see a picture of, of the ultimate one to come, of the Antichrist to come. So I just really want to encourage you as you're, as you're reading scripture, understand that it has meaning in its own culture. There was, there was the Medo-Persian Empire to come. There was, there was Alexander the Great to come. There were the four generals to come after him. Daniel's revealed, all these things are revealed to Daniel. But there's also this, this evil presence marked by the little horn. And I want to say one more time, the little horn of chapter 7 is not, this man had a name, by the way, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, the one who breaks down support, Antiochus, who, who makes himself out to be God, Epiphanes. They called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means the madman. Um, he caused much destruction. He was a real person. But he also is a portent of the destruction to come. Well, just in just a, um, a housekeeping thing, as you're studying Daniel now, um, it's real tempting. Go back to that chart for just a second, if you would. It's real tempting to um, to think that this description in Daniel chapter eight is talking about uh, the Rome or the kingdom to come. Or, um, but, but remember, repetition and intensification. It is focusing. Daniel, the, the book of Daniel is now focusing on this little horn of the goat kingdom of the, um, of the kingdom of Greece. And we won't get to it for a couple of chapters, but in Daniel chapter 11, he spends the whole thing that, <coughs> excuse me, he spends the whole chapter focusing on just um, Greece. And if you do not understand that, you will miss um, the understanding of Daniel. So repetition and intensification. But today we see this amazing uh, portent, this amazing foretelling of the destruction that is to come in a person that most have identified with as Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, what, we, what can we take from this? Um, again, if you are just right now awash, you say, I have no idea. I've lost complete track of, of where you are. You're exactly where Daniel was. And he had an archangel try and explain it to him. So I want you to understand that, that um, oftentimes God gives us things that we need before we need them, right? So that when the time comes, we'll understand what's going on. So even if you don't completely understand all this, I want you to file it away because it may very possibly be that, that the things that Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 8 gain more meaning in our own experience in the years to come 
should the Lord tarry. Should the Lord not tarry, it will become completely clear. That means the end time has come. Well, what can we take? Are there some takeaways for us right here? Just some reminders for us. God knows everything that we will face in the days to come. Right? When you step back from, from the for weeds of this um, of this prophecy, you realize that God is saying, Daniel, I've got this, Daniel. I know everything you and 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 your people are gonna face. It's another way of saying I'm in control. I know everything that is going to happen. I want you to recognize also that I set limits to human power. Make no mistake that God used Babylon to judge Israel, right? Just as just as um, in when Israel came out of Egypt, He used Israel to judge the Amorite kingdoms that were in the the land of Israel at the time. I don't know if you remember, but in Genesis, it says, uh, why, why did God keep them for 400 years in Egypt? Because the sin of the Amorites was not yet completed. The indignation of the Amorites was not yet complete. So God uses people to judge other people. But, but never forget that he sets limits to that human power, okay? Note also from Daniel chapter 10 that he sends his word to warn people. Come on up, worship team, if you would. He sends his word to warn people. So so God's word is still speaking. Daniel chapter 8 is still speaking to us today. Dig deep. Dig deep. And don't be overwhelmed when, when you don't understand everything that's going on. Ask God's Holy Spirit to give you insight, to let you know what you need to know from his word at any given time. But understand also that that God has given us many encouraging promises in his word. And we can trust in those things, right? Why? So that we can persevere to the end. My heart, my heart just breaks for the teenagers that have committed suicide in in the pandemic, right? There's just been a rash of them. Why? Because they didn't have a frame of reference larger than the pandemic, right? They could not see their way through the current trials. And and God wants you, believer, God wants you to recognize that there's, there's, there's more going on than meets the eye here. Hold on. Don't give up. Persevere. Be strong. And courageous. Riley, you are such a living example of that for us over these last months. Be strong and courageous and keep on trusting. Keep on believing. God has made so many promises. I wanted to just end our time today with one of them. What shall we say? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one, right? No one. He began this chapter by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We were considered like sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hold on, beloved. Hold on. It will get... It will get worse. But but Christ is in you. Feed on Him. Draw your strength from Him. And, And maybe, just maybe, you'll discover the joy of Christ in us, our hope of glory.